Well, believe it or not, I'm actually going to finish a series that I started back in 2021. Now, it's a joke, by the way. I'm going to give you a quiz this morning before I start. How's that? You all like quizzes? Actually, I started a series before vacations and all this craziness came in. And today I'm on my last point. Do you remember when I said that there are five steps that help you become a more effective member of a church? And I gave you that list that had those words in it. Do you all remember any of those? So you all help me now. In order, you know, to be an effective church member, we believe there's five steps that you need to do uh, that will actually help you. And the first one starts with a B, and the next letter is E, L-O-N-G, and it's belong. And what we meant by that was, if you're going to be effective in, in the family, right, then you need to be a part of the family. You join the worship services. You join when times where we gather together. We get to know one another. We worship together. We do things together, and that helps us. And then there was a second step, and it starts with a C, O, N, connect. That's right. Not only do you belong and, you know, come and gather, but you also need to connect with one another. You know, even surrounded by 150 people, Life can be lonely. And just because you're in a crowd doesn't mean that you have relationships with people. And we believe it's important that you get to know other believers and other believers get to know you so that they can know that you're a human being, you're broken, you have family that don't love the Lord or maybe they have all kinds of issues, maybe you have problems in your marriage like other believers have in theirs. And, you know, when people really get to know who you are and they realize you're a human like them and not a super Christian that is untouchable, then they begin to go, oh, my goodness, this person's just like me and we can connect to one another. And you become real and you have a relationship with somebody. And that's the importance of connection. We talked about that. One of the best ways to do that is get in a Bible study group, a small home group where you can actually communicate and talk. You can't connect in a public worship service where you belong okay but you can connect in smaller groups and then we talked about it's not just enough to come to worship service it's not just enough to get to know other people and share your burdens but God also created each one of us with a spiritual gift the moment we were saved and he expects us to do something with it so the third step starts with an s serve yes Ainsley you get an a because you've gotten almost all of them serve so we believe that every believer has a gift that god has given you and you should take that gift and put it to use we ask people we we tell you and we we suggest this to take your gifts and your talents and at least one place in a church at least one time a year somewhere serve it can be in the nursery it can be anywhere i mean we have all kinds of opportunities for you to serve maybe it's vbs whatever But use your gifts and your abilities and your talents in some way in a local church and serve. And then I preached a couple of weeks ago on the big one. Starts with a G. Nobody wants to hear about it, but it's actually give. God expects us to take our resources that he has entrusted to us and we give those back so that his work can be furthered. And so God has a plan for that, and I preached on that. You can go back and watch all these messages. But today I want to focus on the last one. 
And that is God expects us as believers to go. Now, what does he want us to do? Do you know God actually wants us to tell people about how they can have eternal life through Jesus, our Lord. He saved your soul, not just to keep you out of hell. He saved you to give you eternal life so that you would be his messenger and go and share that good news with somebody else. He did not send angels to evangelize. He sends his children to tell others about the gracious gift from our Father that he has given to all of humanity. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. And so one of our challenges to you is to take this message that God has given us. It was a gift of grace. It was free. It was God's gift of his son to die in your place, to take your sin, to give you his righteousness, and we deserve neither, and to give us everlasting or eternal life as a free gift. And so when we receive freely, what are we to do? We're to give freely. But we have to tell others what God has done in our lives. So this morning, I want you to turn, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 7. And I want to talk to you about a day of good news. Now, is it possible to have good news in a terrible situation? And the answer is absolutely yes, it is. So I don't know if you can see up on the screen, but I'll read them to you, okay? Listen to the circumstances in this day in 2 Kings. Now, by the way, this book, First and 2 Kings, were originally one book. And every book has some type of a purpose of, as to why it was written. And if you understand the major purpose of that book, as you read through it, it really helps you understand why and what the message of the book is. Kings that is, first and second, was written to the nation of Israel to explain to them why they went into captivity. And if you read these two books, you'll see that there was no room to blame God. The blame was on Israel, their rebellion, their sin, and their refusal to listen to what God said. If you read these two books together, you'll hear constantly over and over again, there is a prophet in Israel. There is a God in Israel. God has spoken God's word, but they didn't want to hear it. And so when they didn't want to hear it, they had to pay the consequences. And here are the consequences. There were wars between nations. One nation couldn't get along with another, and they were trying to steal each other's people, land, resources, and territory. There was famine, inflation, financial hardships. God made sure that the nation of Israel did not lavish itself in prosperity he told them in many places in the old testament leviticus 25 and 6 deuteronomy 28 and 29 if you sin against me it's going to cost you dearly if you walk with me blessed 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 if you walk away from me curse 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 and one of the curses that god would send to them was famine pestilence sickness and sword and then, as a result, there was drought and famine. Now, by the way, not all drought and famine is a direct result of God's punishment. We do live in a sin-cursed earth. There is a change in the way the weathering patterns go. But God told the nation of Israel, I will directly starve you out. I will make the heavens like iron, and I'll withhold the rain. 
if you don't walk with me because they were his chosen nation to represent him. And then when things go wrong, what is it that all politicians do? Not all politicians. I, I take that back. I, I take that back. What is, what is it that most politicians will do? They will often blame others for their problems. We see this in the presidential candidates. We see this in Senate. We see this everywhere. If anything happens in their administration, whose fault was it? It was the one before them. One before them. We never want to take personal responsibility for our own self. And by the way, it's not just politicians, by the way. It's me and you too. And then finally, doubting God's goodness and provision. God, how can you do this? Why would you do this? How could you, you know, what we ought to be saying is, God, how could you not do this? How, how can you continue to bless when this continues to be the way that our nation acts? And so this is what God did as he interjected. So here is the condition, and it's in 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to go back and pick up a little bit of context because it's important for what's going on. So there was a king in Syria, a little bit north of the nation of Israel, and his name was Ben-Hadad. Ben means son and Hadad. So he was the son of Hadad, the king of Syria. He mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. Now, by the way, what was Samaria? Do you all remember this? This is where one of the kings, when they split from Solomon, decided to build another house of worship. They didn't want it just in, in God's city of Jerusalem. That now they built one up in the north so that the people would not travel down in Jerusalem and, and be swayed by the other king. So they set up their own altar they set up their own worship system. They set up their own worship day. This angered God. And so now in Samaria, there's going to be this besiegement. This is when you gather around a city, all the troops, and you don't allow anybody outside the walls to go to Walmart. And they stay there, and they stay there, and they stay there until they run out of food. And then you run into big trouble. Now, by the way, you all know how this goes. If they forecast a snowstorm, which we haven't had in, what, three years now, all the bread and the milk's gone, and, and every American thinks that we're all going to die. Or if, if the stores are closed and there's not a lot of food on the shelf and we actually have to eat, you know, uh, off-brand macaroni and cheese, we think the whole world's going to end. But in this situation, they were dire. There was no food. They were eating up all their supplies. So there was a great famine in Samaria, and they besieged it until a donkey's head, sound like an appetizing de uh, menu, a donkey's head sold for what? 80 shekels of silver. That's pretty expensive, folks. And a fourth part of a cob, a K-A-B, uh, of dove's dung. I know that sounds rough, doesn't it? For five shekels of silver. Now, a cob was like a measuring cup. And dove's dung wasn't literally dove's dung. It was probably something like some type of a flower or some type of grain that you would eat. Okay, not actually bird stuff, you know. And I'm just trying to tell you. The point was they were starving to death and what little you could get was very, very expensive. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said... If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? I, I can't do anything for you. There's nothing here to give. By the way, this is a terrible story. 
And the king asked her, What is your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him, and on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she's hidden her son. Can you imagine how terrible this is? When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath his body. There's a lesson here, isn't there? Even when you think people who are just vile and mean can't be reached, oh, they can. But sometimes God has to turn the screws of justice very tight. And he said, May God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. So what was the king doing? He was blaming God's prophet Elisha for the famine. But the reality was, who was to blame for it? It was the king himself. Blame shifting. So Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is it not the sound of his master's feet behind him? In other words, when he comes to kill me, don't let him in. Because within just a few minutes, the king will be there, and then I'll talk to both of them. Now, by the way, you need to read the three stories preceding this to know just exactly how powerful Elisha was because of God. There was another king up in the north that gathered all of his troops around and said, Who is against me that keeps telling our secrets to the other king? And the one man said, Oh, Lord, no, none of us are against you. It's Elisha. He hears the secrets in your bedroom. His God is allowing him to hear what goes on in your secret chambers. And the man said, well, go there and kill him. And so he sent a whole army down to Elisha. And Elisha's servant was scared to death when this army came down. And Elisha said, stop being afraid. There's more of us than there are of them. And of course, you know what that servant did. He looked at himself. He looked at Elisha and said, he has flipped his lid. And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And Elisha's servant opened his eyes, and he saw on top of the mountaintops chariots and horses that outnumbered every one of the other armies. The protection and the provision of God, folks, that we can't even see. So Elisha here has no fear of the king of Israel. Notice what he says. Is it not the sound of his master's feet behind him? Here he comes. And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? In other words, just let me kill him. But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a sea of flour, you know, a big old liter, y'all know what a pop bottle is cut off, a bunch of them, a sea of flour will be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel. This is a deal, okay? This is a Walmart special. And it'll be sold right at the gate of Samaria. Now, you've got to realize this siege went on for months. There was no food. These people are saying there is no way God could ever provide this for the people. So this man says, the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself 
should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? In other words, if God himself opened up windows and dumped this out on us right now, could this possibly happen? I mean, this, this Elisha guy is a kook. He's a liar. God could never do that. But Elisha says to him, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Now the question is, can God provide in a famine? And so what is the answer? Of course he could. Now we're going to meet four lepers in just a minute. Four lepers who were actually outside the gate of Samaria who were listening to, they were hearing and they were seeing all this besiegement. They knew they were going to die. They were so desperate that their life had come to a, a crux. But they, when they heard the good news, they were willing to do something because they were convicted about not sharing what God had done for them. And so they told what they knew and they left their results to God. Listen to how the story actually unfolds. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, that is, let us go into Samaria, the famine is in the city and we'll die there. And if we just sit here, we'll die here also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. So they were around the city of Samaria. They were outside the gate. The Syrian army was all the way around the city. And these four lepers who were not allowed in because they had COVID-19 and COVID-20 and everything else, you know, they wanted to keep them way outside. You, you stay out there. We're not getting your disease. They were in a terrible situation. If we go into the city, we'll starve and die. They may kill us because we're lepers. If we go over to the Syrians, they might kill us. But you know what? We're going to die anyway. So we'll take our chances. Now, isn't this something? They would rather go to the Syrian enemy army than they would in the city of Samaria, their own people. That's how bad it was. So they said, we'll just take our chance and go to the Syrians. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. Now, have you got the picture here? All these Syrians are camped around Samaria, around Israel's northern nation. All these, these are bad Marines, okay? Tough, rough men. And they have brought their provisions all the way from Samaria to outlast Israel. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands probably of pounds of food for thousands of soldiers. And they're sitting there in the darkness of the night with their campfire outside. And all of a sudden, they hear this noise that sounds like the, the whole of the Egyptian army and the whole of every other surrounding army was coming after them. Now, when's the last time you've been camping, by the way? Has it been a while? When is the last time you were out in the woods at night and nobody was around you? You were just sitting there in the darkness of the night and all of a sudden you started hearing some noise. 
And you know how alert you become? You know, I, I love to take our kids hunting, and I love it the first time they go on their own because the best way to handle that is to get them up way before daylight and to take them out in the woods and tell them, now, go to your place over there in the woods. And, you know, we've got cell phones now. Back in my day, we didn't have any of that. You had to walk to the woods. And you're armed, okay, but still you can't hardly see much. And you hear something crack or crash or you walk up on a bear. That happens, by the way laying in brush, or you spook a deer. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be a little old squirrel. And it makes a lot of noise. <gasps> you panic and look around. Now, can you imagine Almighty God on this big Assyrian army allowing them to hear the footsteps of the army of the Lord of Almighty? By the way, if you read back, you know, earlier in God's Word, He did it by sight. He allowed them to see what they thought were pools of blood. They thought there was a great slaughter. Now God does it just through the hearing. So don't ever say that God is not able to put the fear of God into anybody because he can. And so here this whole Syrian army thinks that the other nations are invading them and it's actually God making them hear or allowing them to hear the footsteps of the armies of God. So the text says they fled away, and this is how you know they were really scared, they fled away in the twilight, and they abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they left the camp as it was and fled for their lives. Not even time to get on a horse. I mean, you're talking about the fear of God here. So when the lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent. And what do you think they did? They ate and they drank. And then they started carrying off silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Well, praise God for four lepers who, after they had filled their belly and filled their bank account and couldn't carry anymore and couldn't eat anymore, finally decided what? I think we need to go tell other starving people that there's food and provision here. By the way... One night on midnight, while I was riding around the town of Christiansburg many, many years ago in a police car, two times during the night, J. Vernon McGee, the old Texas preacher who moved out in California, had a radio show that Karen and I still give to every month. It's called Through the Bible. And Dr. McGee just speaks through the Bible. His plan was to go through it in five years. God's provision was... When he finished the book of Revelation, by the way, it's an amazing story. When he finished his last lecture in the book of Revelation, he died in his chair in the recording studio. Nevertheless, while I was riding around the town, this story came on about these lepers. I'll never forget it. And J. Vernon McGee said, Dear friend, in only his words, you and I are the leper. We are the lepers. 
we are told to go and tell others about the good news. I didn't even understand this whole story, but let me tell you something. That hit me. Never forgotten it. Notice what happens. So they came and called the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to see or, or be heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers, this is the protectors outside the gate, called out, and it was told within the king's house. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I'll tell you what the Syrians have done. See, once again, he doesn't believe God can provide, does he? They know that we're hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we will take them alive and get into the city. Now, this is military strategy, by the way. You, you lure the people out, you send your troops in, then you wait for them to come back home and boom, boom, boom. So it could have happened. Nevertheless, it didn't. One of his servants said, well, let some men take five of the remaining horses. That's getting pretty thin, isn't it, folks? Seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment, that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. This makes you wonder, by the way, if you ever know where a map is, how far they ran. God chased them from Israel all the way back to their home. Now, can you imagine hearing that sound chasing you? You're talking about high-tailing it. I'll let you figure out what that means. They were not letting any, anything rest under them. And the messengers returned and told the king that all this stuff was scattered. And the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. You ready for this? So a sea of flour was sold for a shekel. And two seas of barley for a shekel. According to the word of the Lord. Can God open the windows of heaven? Oh yeah. And he can even use the devil's army. To provide it if he wants to. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate on Black Friday, by the way, so that he died. As the man of God had said when the king came down to him. It was more dangerous standing in front of the city gate now than it was trying to shop at Walmart on Black Friday a few years ago. This is how bad it was. They just trampled this king to death getting out to the food for when the man of god had said to the king two seas of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a sea of fine flour for a shekel about this time tomorrow in the gate of samaria the captain had answered the man of god and said if the lord himself should make the windows of heaven could such a thing be and he had said so you shall see it with your own eyes but you shall not eat of it and so it happened to him for the people trampled him in the gate and he died, just like the Lord said. Now, what are four lessons that you and I can learn from this? Well, I think the first lesson that we can learn is this. Our world is experiencing maybe not a physical famine, famine not, not starving for food per se, but they are 
a spiritual famine. God mentioned this many times in his word, but in one place in particular, Amos chapter 8, verse 11, he said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. In other words, in the same way that you can't find food and water, you can't find God's word. May that never be said in Christiansburg. May that never be said in our life where that we can rub shoulders with someone and they can never hear about the word of God. Sometimes we're so afraid to tell people good news, aren't we? Why are we afraid to tell people about the free gift of eternal life in Jesus? Maybe it's because we think they'll reject us. Maybe it's because we think that they'll look, look at us funny or they'll think we're weird or something along that line. And we allow fear, fear of rejection, fear of what people may think of us. It keeps us from sharing the good news. This past week, a, a person wanted me to drive two hours to go see someone to talk to them about their eternal life. Now, I'll never see this person again in my life. And so I asked this person, I was like, well, why don't you do it? Well, because you, you need to. I said, no, no, no. God gave you the same words that you could speak as I could. Yeah, I know, but you know, uh, you're a preacher. Stop that. Stop that. God can use you sometimes more powerfully than he can preachers. And so I told him, no, I'm not going to do it. You're going to talk to her. If you're burdened for her and God's burdened you for her, you talk to her. And so I didn't go. And he went. And he talked to her. And he came back. And he said, well, I've talked to her. Now I want you to come talk to her. And I said, okay. Now I will go with you and talk to her. So I went and talked to her. And afterward, I was very pleased to tell him that she had accepted Christ as a teenager when she came to a local church for a, a, an event. She still remembered it clearly. However, she had grown up. She had a rough life. She had walked away from the Lord and tragedy had, had struck her. But she still remembered that she knew Christ as her Savior. Folks, you never know by looking at someone's outside, the exterior of their life, you can't always judge what they have done with Jesus. As clear of a testimony of salvation as any of you all could give to me. Amazing. God had finally got her attention. The point is, thank God that he burdens us and he burdens our heart like he did this man to tell someone about the good news. Because we live in a spiritually broken home. By the way, have you ever driven through a neighborhood and looked at houses or looked at people and wondered what was wrong with their life? Serious. You know, we go in grocery stores and we see, you know, all these people that are in confusion. Uh, 
girls dressing like boys and boys like girls. Now listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. Stop being in this crowd that is only scoffing at them. Because what we are discovering is most people who are falling in the LGBT community. I'm talking about the victims, not the top that's pushing this stuff down. I'm talking about the people who are now coming out and identifying. The reason they're doing this is because of abuse in their homes and in their life. And they don't trust their own gender. And so they want to go to the next or to go to the same. It is a multifaceted issue, folks, that's going on here. And let me tell you something. This is not the time for the church to sit back and just point the long finger of judgment and say, you're going to hell. You're, you know. It's time for us to start asking questions. Why? What, what is making you do this? What, tell me why. And just to close our mouth and not constantly talk and listen to what they have to say. You and I are living in a time of, of famine. And listen to me, we have people like this in our family, so you're not alone. And, you know, oftentimes people want you to go and do things. Or what. We, we are very clear with them. Listen to us carefully. We love you as this person. You know that we don't agree with what you do, but that doesn't change the fact that we love you. And we care for you. We want to be there for you. We will not endorse what you're doing. But we will endorse you. We love you. And allow the grace of God to work through His truth into their life. And all around us, folks, are people searching for truth. They have problems in their home. They, they, have, they have struggles in their marriage, struggles with their children, struggles in their jobs, struggles in their finances. Do you realize how problematic humanity really is? We all have problems. And God has the answer for our greatest problem. But we do have good news. And you and I have been entrusted with the greatest message ever. It's not the stock market. It's not this or that. It's, it has nothing to do with that. It's the message of eternal life that God graciously gives through the person of Jesus Christ. And the way someone attains it is by believing. Believing on Jesus for eternal life. And we have this opportunity to share this message of truth to people so that they can believe. This past week, a young person in our church, a young person, had a burden for one of their friend's mothers. Now, get a hold of this, young folks. And knew that the mother was being worked on by God. I'll tell you the story in full. And started talking to her about her salvation. Ends up coming into the office this week. Sets down in my office with this young person. I started asking him about, you know, what, what's... Been, well miraculously, and all of a sudden, here's this person that was in a cult background who was burdened to start reading their Bible, didn't know what they were doing. They were burdened to start praying. Nobody in the family is probably a believer, but they started searching for some 
some connection with God was how it was phrased. Came into the office, laid open the word of God, let him read God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And simply ask back the question, what is the one condition God says you must do to have eternal life? And the lady looked and said, believe on Jesus and I can have everlasting life. I said, would you like to do that? She said, yes, I would. She accepted Christ her Savior this week. Now, hopefully you'll get to see her get baptized soon. But you know, Boom, whole life was changed. And what was amazing was she was sitting there in the seat. And I love this when you witness to people and share the gospel. The moment they are regenerated, they, they oftentimes go, whew, wow, you know, I don't know exactly what happened, but wow. I said, here's what happened. God just made your spirit alive. You have been born again. Now you have God living inside of you. Because you believed. And that will change your life. You now have eternal life inside of you. And God has given each of us this ability to share this message. We can all do it. The third lesson is we must share the good news with others and then leave the results to God. What did these lepers do? They went into the city and they said, there's food galore out there. Go get it. And what did the king say? Well, I don't know if I want to go get that. You know, maybe we should see him. Doubting and doubting. And you know what the lepers said? We have tasted and seen. We have filled our bellies. We have filled our, our sacks. We know what is out there. Can you and I say that? You know what? doesn't matter what anybody says about God, thinking that you know, this God delusion or you know, God's not real. Listen to me, folks. Nobody has to say one word to me to try to prove it. My life has been totally transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I accepted Christ as my Savior and started living for Him, I'm telling you, it totally changed who I am as a person. You want a litmus test? Look at your life. He has transformed us. You and I cannot do wrong if we know Christ is our Savior. We cannot do wrong and enjoy it. One of the greatest evidences that you're a believer is when you sin, you are miserable. And thank God for that. That is called a gift of grace. It's called conviction. It's called God speaking to you in the most intimate way, letting you know that He's trying to get you back in fellowship. Not back in the family, Back in fellowship. So you can sit at the table and the Thanksgiving turkey tastes good. That's what he's doing. Not making you a son or a daughter again. But making you walk with him and love him. And you and I have the privilege to share this good news. And the result is not up to us, folks. Take yourself out of it. You can't save anybody. If you can save somebody, somebody else can help them get lost. That is God's business. We are messengers, we are truth-tellers, and God is the Savior. And we have to trust Him to do the work. However, we have to move in His direction. 
And so God has to burden our hearts for people who need Him. And then finally, there can be a day of good news, even in terrible times. You and I live in a time when people think God doesn't, He isn't real, we don't need Him, we just go on living our life and so forth. And then all of a sudden, tragedy happens. The story of this person was, they, and this was her exact words to me, she said, I have always been told your life can change in a split second. She said, but I never thought I would live it. A person in her family was taken out of her life. They got up one morning just like life was going just normal. Everything was lovely. And in a split moment, boom. The closest person in her life died right in front of her. Totally, totally shocked her world. And she didn't think anybody else had ever been through that. And I said, oh, listen, there's people in our church, people in our life who have experience this same thing you're not the only person but i want you to know something there's hope there is hope you don't feel it now and nobody should try to explain that to you now but i'm just telling you there is hope you need to hang in there and you know as somebody once said there will come a time when it's that is the first thing that enters your mind the rest of your days and then there will come a day when it's the second thing that will enter your mind and then the next thing you know, God will somehow surround you by grace and he'll let you move through this problem. But don't quit. There's hope in Jesus Christ. This is why you and I have been given the good news of eternal life and we must share it. So how do you do that? Well, we've tried our best to make it as easy as we possibly can to get our church pushed out into the lives of people. And I've told you about these for a while, but here's kind of what we're asking you to do. This is a door hanger. And on this says, this home was prayed for by Trinity Community Church. If we can serve you in any way, please let us know. Reach us by text or by email at here. Thank you for being a part of our community. And on the back, we list some services and so forth, things that we offer, offered. We printed these weeks ago, okay? But what we ask, are asking you to do is either get someone with you, do it with your husband and wife, your children, get another church member or another believer. Walk through your neighborhood. And if God burdens you and you get in front of that home to pray for them, just stop and, and like this. Father, I don't know what's going on in that home, but you have burdened my heart to pray for them. And whatever's going on in there, you know. And I pray that you'll work and that you'll use this door hanger as a way that we may be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And so, Father, if you'll do that, We'll be obedient and take this door hanger over there and slip it on the door. Whatever you do, don't knock on it. Don't knock on it because you don't like people knocking on your door and I don't either. Don't knock on their door. Put it on their door hanger and walk away and leave it to the Lord. And if they call us 
or we start getting all kinds of calls from our community and we need some help, guess what? Remember what I told you about you needing to serve? We have your phone number. <laughs> no, but this is an opportunity for us to reach our community and let them know. So where do you find these door hangers? They're out on the back in the communication center. And here's what we're asking you. Do not grab 20 of them. All I'm asking you to do this week is to grab one. Grab one. One for you, and then one for the other person who's going to go with you. So that'd be one for you and one for them. If they're not here this morning, grab two. If they are here, let them get their own. Take it, put it in your Bible, because I know y'all read your Bible first thing in the morning. Put it right there and start praying that God will show you which house to hang that on. Start hanging it. We're going to be praying that God works in our community. We're going to strategically get some places around here. But this is a way to let people know, you know what? God is still meeting needs. And we need to tell people, this is a day of good news. Did you know that? So, ask the Lord to burden you. I'm going to let you pray here in just a moment. I want you to ask God this. Lord, burden my heart for somebody to share this news. Second, take a couple of door hangers and hang them on a house and pray over the home, especially if you don't even know who they are. Leave the hanger and leave the results to God, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, Father? Thank you this morning for the opportunity to hear from your word how you work in the lives of people. We know you've done that in our life, and we know there are people in our town and our community who need you. And so I pray this morning that you'll take us as your instruments, burden our hearts for other people. And I pray that this door hanger ministry will be a way of letting people know that Trinity is one of the many churches in this community that care about people. And so help us if we're able to meet their needs. And I pray for our people that you'll empower them, give them strength, give them courage that they need to be a good witness for you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Now this morning I'm going to ask you to take just a moment as Sharon plays or Zach and just pray that God would burden your heart for someone and that he would use your efforts this week as you bump into the lives of other people to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So Father, we pray that you would bless our prayers, bless your word and the hearts of the people that you lead into our life this week. We'll thank you for it and thank you for the incredible opportunity we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.